Well, good morning once again. Today, we begin a new sermon series on the book of Colossians. And so we're going to just slow things down for a bit. We're actually going to go through this book verse by verse. Not, not all today. This is going to stretch on for, for a while. But when I read the book of Revelation and I see the letter that was written to that first church, Christ said that he had something against them, something against them. And the issue was that they'd lost their first love. They'd done good works. They'd taught good doctrine. They'd reproofed false teachings, yet they'd left Jesus out of the equation. And I think that when we look at this world, it's easy to understand that what we see can quickly overpower and hinder what we cannot see. The physical world can so dominate our lives that we forget about the spiritual unseen world. And the issue that that early church had can easily be ours too. We can be so busy so wrapped up in the hustle and bustle of everyday life that we simply miss out on Jesus. And I'm not talking about missing out on him being our Lord or being our Savior or praying to him or studying about him, but in terms of truly recognizing who he is and all he longs to be for us. So if there is one book in the New Testament that calls us to zero in on Jesus, it's the book of Colossians. This small book can teach us to keep our focus on Jesus. No matter what we are facing, no matter what we are doing, no matter what our daily lives might look like. So that's why I'd like for us to just slow down, take some time, and journey through the book of Colossians together. The preeminence and sufficiency of Christ are shouting out from each page of this book, and I believe that we will be immensely blessed by studying it together. So today, we're going to just start with the first 14 verses. And I think that we are going to see a strong focus from Paul here on thanksgiving and prayer. So let's start at the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So a little background info here on Paul. This was a man who was raised as a Pharisee and hated the Christian church, absolutely despised this movement, but he had an experience with Jesus. And as many of you in this room can attest to, when you meet Jesus, your life changes completely. And Paul had this experience. He, he, he was going by Saul, and so Saul, the attacker and persecutor of the church, met Jesus and was transformed into Paul, the Christ-centered, gospel-preaching church builder. 
In verse 1, Paul is just briefly introducing himself to these young Christians in Colossae. And I absolutely love how he addresses them. In verse 2, grace and peace. Grace and peace. And what is grace? Primarily, it's the idea that we've been delivered from the law. We don't live by the law. We don't live under the law anymore. We are under grace. And this is why we have freedom from sin. Because as Romans 6.14 says, sin has no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The law. We couldn't keep it. We failed. And the end was death. That's what it showed us. And so the law drove us back to Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can give life. Jesus is the only one who gives life. Ultimately, grace is the person of Jesus Christ. Grace is the person of Jesus Christ. We read about that in Titus 2. And now we know that Christ isn't just beside us isn't just in front of us, isn't just beside, behind us, but Christ is in us. Christ is in us, leading us and teaching us each and every day. And that's why grace is always talked about in the New Testament as being abundant, of having abundance, the abundance of grace, according to Romans 5, 17. Grace upon grace according to John 1.16. Grace poured out abundantly, according to 1 Timothy 1.14. The grace of God cannot be contained. It can't be contained. And another interesting thing is that Paul extends grace and peace to all people in his epistles. If you go through and you read each of his letters, you will see this opening over and over and over and over, grace and peace, grace and peace to you. And when I see that, it helps me to realize the importance of this constant reminder. We need this because we tend to get distracted. And when we get distracted, we lose focus. So I look at this constant reminder of, hey, you are who you are because of grace. And there is peace in your life because of who lives in you. We need these constant reminders to combat the lies of the enemy. The other thing to take note of here with Paul is that in each of his letters, he usually had some sort of bone to pick with whatever church he is writing to. Right? He's, he's got some sort of correction that is coming their way. But before he gets there, before he gets there, he wants to make sure that his readers, that his listeners are rooted and grounded in the fact that they have the grace of Jesus and peace living inside of them. Verse 3, he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Again, Paul is going to get to some issues and problems here, but he doesn't start with that. He doesn't start there. He's lifting up these young Christians. I like how Teresa said it, these baby Christians. 
And that's, that's what all of these churches were. They had just started. They'd just begun. You had Gentiles that had no understanding of God, no, no foundation there coming into Christianity. And then you had Jews coming in with all of their baggage and all of their legalism and all of their trappings. And they were coming into this new thing. And Christ was showing them the way you used to live, the way you used to believe. I've got something better, new, and different for you. And so these were, these were baby Christians. Of course, there were going to be problems, but they needed to be lifted up. They needed to be reminded of who they were in Christ. They needed to be loved. And so Paul, he wants them to know how thankful he and others are for them and that it has nothing to do with their perfection, which they don't have, but instead it's because of who they are in Christ. This is a tremendous thing for us to learn from too. Whenever we talk to somebody about something difficult or some issue that needs correction, we should always start by making sure that they understand that this isn't about guilt, shame, condemnation, and judging, but that it's about love. It's about love. The kind of love that cares enough to walk with someone, to step into somebody else's life and to put your arm around them and reassure them and then earn the right to say that word that maybe is going to be tough to hear at first. Elsewhere, Paul writes that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. And something that I've noticed that makes a huge difference before having a difficult conversation with someone is by first letting them know, hey, I believe in you. I believe in what Christ is doing through you. I believe that God is working through you for the betterment of his kingdom. Because when we know that somebody believes in us, it's a lot easier to have any type of conversation. So Paul tells these early believers, I thank God for you, and I'm praying for you always. He continues, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. At the center of these verses, is a very special word. That word is hope. And in the world, there is talk of, uh, there, there, there's a certain way that this word is used. And generally, it's used like, wow, I really hope I win the lottery. Right? I, I, I hope that I win the lottery. The way that the world hopes is in things that are pretty far-fetched, that are very unlikely to happen. But we want to we wanna play some small semblance of, of belief and, and, and attach it there just in case. I hope I win the lottery. And to be honest, that's a pretty terrible way to live. If you're seeking to live a life of power 
righteousness and godliness because you're essentially putting all of your hope in a pipe dream. But the hope scripture talks about is never framed in this way. Never framed in this way. The Greek word that is translated as hope is the word elpidus. Elpidus. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Elpidus. I heard some of y'all. Elpidus. One, two, three. There you go. You're learning Greek. Koine Greek. This word, it literally translates to confidence. Confidence. So we as Christians are not putting our hope in something that we may on the off chance, if we are lucky, hope to happen. But instead, we have hope that is in something guaranteed because it has already happened. And nothing is going to hinder it from playing out in our lives. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and what he has already accomplished. Biblical hope is actually security. It's security. It's the idea of not looking at the way things are in our physical world, but as they are in the unseen world, because in the unseen world, they are already done. They are complete in Christ. That is where our hope lies. And so what we can say to ourselves and to others because of this is, yeah, that might not have happened the way that I wanted it to. Things might not have gone, gone the, the, the way that I wanted them to. Maybe I, I missed the mark. Maybe I failed in this area. But this is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. We've already seen how the story ends through Christ, and that's a good thing. And that's where I'm choosing to place my hope, in the security and the assurance of Christ and what he has already done and offers freely to me. So through Christ, we can stand up, dust ourselves off, and keep moving forward again. Keep walking forward again. And this is so important because we currently live in a, a fallen world that has so many things in it that can rob us of our hope, that can trip us up. And that's why it's so wonderful to have this thing called hope, which is confidence and security in Christ. Hope in who he is and what he has done and what he says about us. Paul speaks about the word of truth and the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, we'll come back to this concept of bearing fruit because Paul comes back to it in just a few verses, so we'll cover it there. But I want you to also notice how he makes a distinction between hearing about and then understanding the grace of God. When we first hear the gospel, it's exciting. It's invigorating. The knowledge that we are saved brings a lot of comfort and power in an instant. Yet there is also a process of growing even more, even deeper in our understanding of what grace is of what it means for us. Dear friends, remember that. 
when you are working alongside of or, or teaching someone who is new to the faith as it is in Jesus. Keep this in mind. Patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue and one that we should graciously extend to others. Graciously extend to them. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, a bit more context to remember here. Paul is actually writing this very flowery, uplifting, happy letter. He's writing this from prison. Just like he wrote the, the letter to the Ephesians from a prison cell. Yeah, look at all the love and tenderness that Paul is pouring out to these baby Christians that he hasn't even met in person. He hasn't even met them. Most scholars and historians believe that Epaphras is the one that started this church. But Epaphras has given a good report concerning these young believers in the Colossian church, specifically in connection to their lives of love toward God and others. It's a type of love that can only come from the Spirit. And it's clear that the God's Spirit is working mightily in this baby church in Colossae. And so Paul continues, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Have you ever noticed how common and constant Paul's encouragements are in his epistles. He, he's just throwing them out like candy. So much encouragement, so much uplifting. And when you take an honest look at all the various issues that he dealt with <laughs> in these churches, you, you see that occasionally he will. He, will. he will zero in on some specific thing, right? He'll, he'll speak against a specific problem. But more often than not, he gives instruction in very broad ways. Very broad ways. And when he does, he usually begins with, with something like, y'all, you need to know God more richly. You need to know God more richly. And I'm going to pray for you that he reveals that wisdom to you. The reason Paul does that is because he knows the truth of the matter. When you get to know God richly, deeply, and intimately, his spirit will show you how to live. His spirit will convict you of sin. His spirit will show you how to grow in sanctification. Some people want me as the pastor to tell them every little thing that they should do or not do. Some people feel it's their job to tell other people every little thing that they should or should not do. But that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. If, if, if I can be honest here, if I can be like Paul and be honest and speak to a church and say something in love, if you want to be told what to do, or if you think it's your job to tell others what to do, that's simply coming from a place of unbelief. It's a place of unbelief. 
Because when we believe that God can and will do what he said he will do in connection with convicting people of sin and leading us into all truth, then we won't feel the need to be told by others or to tell others how to live in order to see good fruit. We become fruit inspectors. Leave the fine-tuning to the Holy Spirit. I promise you, I promise you, your life will feel more abundant and peaceful and free, and you will be more in line to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you and telling you to go this way, to talk with this person, to touch base with this one, as opposed to placing the pressure on yourself to worry about yourself and others at all times, again, losing focus on Jesus. So leave the fine-tuning to the Holy Spirit. So often today within the church, we hear the message of get your walk right and then you will know God's will. Get your walk right first and then you will know God's will. Yet, have you noticed here that Paul is saying the complete opposite? He's saying the opposite. It's after we are filled with the knowledge of God's will, wisdom, and understanding that we can then walk in the right way and bear good fruit. We can't put the cart before the horse. We don't bear good fruit by trying to bear good fruit. We bear good fruit by living in a trusting, intimate relationship with God. Good deeds are not something we can manufacture. Only spirit can do that. Do we trust him? It's really what it, what it comes down to. Do we trust the Holy Spirit? Do we believe that the same spirit that was working in the days of the early church and bringing these baby Christians, many of whom did not have any background in the ways of Christ, but was able to bring them into mighty warriors for God that set the world on fire with the Christian message, do we believe that that same spirit that was working then is still working today in our churches? Or do we feel like when the pastor leaves, everything falls apart? When that evangelist stops preaching that, oh, now how am I going to know how to live? It's the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll find plenty of encouragement and leading in the Bible as well. But pray. And when you pray, take time to listen. Speak and listen. Do any of you have that friend? Maybe you are that friend. <laughs> where you're having that conversation and it's very one-sided and you can't get a word in. Like, let's not do that to God. He wants to speak to us as well. He is the vine. We are the branches. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so whose, whose power are we strengthened by? It's not our own. It's not our own. It's God's power that we are strengthened by. And as, as you carefully study Paul's writings, as you, you carefully take a look at what he wrote, what he taught, you will also come to the realization of what he meant by fruit of the Spirit. Because it's fruit singular, not plural. 
We try to break it up and act as if, well, this is a fruit of the Spirit and this is a fruit of the Spirit. He's talking singularly here because this fruit that Paul is talking about is the Christian life. The fruit of the Spirit is the abundant life that you live in Christ. It is a life that is characterized by love, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control, et cetera, et cetera. It is not about your accomplishments. It's not about my accomplishments. It is the expression of the life of God through your uniqueness. That is the fruit. It's not a quantity. It's a quality of life. And that is why the Christian janitor's life is just as important as the Christian pastor's life. And why the Christian child's life is just as much a testimony as the seasoned Christian's life, and so on and so forth. This is why Jesus calls it the abundant life. It's a quality of life. It's the life of God placed within a human in union with spirit to be expressed through that human's life in the world and then for the world to look at that human and see God. The world can look at us as we walk this out in faith, as we live the abundant life, and they will say, that is what God is like. I see God in them. I see God in how they treat people, how they speak, how they love. I want that. I want that for me. And so when Paul lists these things, as he's listing here wisdom, knowledge, understanding, power, endurance, patience, joy, etc., these are not achievements. They are qualities of life. Qualities of life. They're not badges or trophies. They are part of who we are, who we are becoming as children of God, growing more intimate with him. We are no longer in darkness. We are no longer sinners. We are redeemed and forgiven. He says it in verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's good news, y'all. There's plenty there to be thankful for in our prayers to the Father. And this is how Paul chose to open his letter to this baby Christian church in Colossae. Dear friends, I don't want to simply get up here each week and preach a nice sermon pulled from the book of Colossians. It is my hope and my prayer that you are willing to go on this journey with Jesus. Allow his spirit to speak truth into your life. And the best way for that to happen is to make it a point to not just hear these words on Sabbath morning, but to spend time reading them and praying over them through the week, listening for God's voice, following his leading. Don't make Jesus your focus on Sabbath morning and then lose focus for the other six days of the week. I promise you, if you will just open your heart to the Father, the Spirit of God wants to bless you in abundant ways through the study of this little book. Won't you accept 
that gift, that invitation from Jesus. As we close, I'd like to offer you a practical way to apply something from today's sermon. So pull out your phones and take a picture of this week's secret place practice. Do you understand who you are in Christ? It is only after you accept the truth that you are a child of God, accepted, forgiven, and redeemed that you can experience freedom and the abundant life which leads to bearing good fruit. So this week, root yourself in the identity that God has given to you in Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. Make it personal. Write it out. Stick it on your fridge. Spend time in these verses and know that this is what Christ is saying to you, about you. And the accompanying scripture is from our book of study. Galatians 3, verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Before we have our closing prayer, I'm going to invite Rex to come forward. He's our elder in charge for today. He's going to stand at the foot of these steps. I'm going to have the benediction, and then I'll step down over here. So after the benediction, you who wish can be dismissed. I did forget one announcement, a very important one. We have a potluck meal today, and you are all invited. Um, so if, if you felt fed spiritually, we don't want to send you home with an empty belly. And so if you didn't know about it, you didn't bring any food, that is fine. The Lord will provide. So please stick around afterwards. But also, um, for, for those of you that don't want to go straight to lunch, and maybe you have a specific prayer request, maybe you have a specific praise, something that you've just got to share, then we would just invite you to come forward after the benediction, and you can either talk to Rex or myself, and we would love to listen and lift your petition or your praise up to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we have hope. And it's not hope that's built on shifting sand. It's not hope that is a pipe dream. But Lord, it's, it's, it's sure. It's a firm foundation. It's security. And so, Lord, we choose right now to place our hope in Christ and what he has done and what he says about us. And Lord, we accept your spirit into our lives, believing and trusting in you that you will lead us in whatever direction you feel we should go, that you will use our words, that you will use our actions to show others your love and your grace. So Lord, give us divine opportunities. Give us, give, give us the, the, the time and the willingness and the desire and the passion to share your love and your grace with others in this world that maybe don't know the gospel. And so, Lord, now we just give ourselves to you and we thank you for giving yourself to us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.